and welcome to Map Bites, episode 134. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're channeling Steve and staying hungry, whilst banking on credit. So, it's been a while. <clears throat> They'll never notice. So, how did the iOS 14 thing go at Map Bites headquarters? Well, I didn't install on release day. I did. I know no fear. I left it about a week and then I only updated the iPad, my 12.9 from 2017. It actually went smoothly. I was surprised. <laughs> it's sad it's come to that. It, it is, isn't it? I didn't update the phone because I thought I need to back up my photos first. I have actually got 165 gig free, but I thought I don't want to lose them if it bricks it. I must admit, very strangely for me lately, I did dive in straight away, starting with my iPads. There were photos, you know, in the week at my Bites headquarters. Me, cup of tea, 27 iPads, all updating. It was lovely. I was actually impressed that all of my iPads going back to my 2014 iPad Air 2 can actually be upgraded to this. I also installed it on my iPhone 7. A dry run, if you will. I took your cautious approach with the iPhone 11, though, as I have a um, photo gate situation going on there. Far too many photos to want to be bothered sorting them out on the phone. And a Huge distrust for anything iCloud related. I have a feeling Google Photos is going to be the way to go. I just haven't got round to dealing with the unholy mess yet. So, what's new? Widgets. I hadn't used widgets in the past apart from the battery one. And I'd only use that on the iPad to see the battery level of the pencil. But you've got to test these things, haven't you? So, I added the drafts one. It was handy, but to be honest, it's probably just as quick to swipe down and search for the app. I do like that you can have different sizes on the widgets. And then I tried placing the widgets on the home screen. It didn't work. <laughs> kept flying back to the sidebar and kept trying and trying and trying. And I thought, what's going on here? Because I'm, I'm sure I remember uh, Timmy or whoever it was saying that you can uh, you can stick those widgets on the um, the home screen. And then about 10 Googled articles later, I found out that iPad OS doesn't support it. There's a decision I still can't believe. Widgets unleashed from the confines of the sidebar would be amazing on an iPad. I'd say completely game changing. Another case of Timmy holding something back to announce it as groundbreaking in another release, methinks. Um, I found the widget somewhat variable in quality. The Notion widget is a great start, as an example, but it's a bit limiting in terms of what it can do right now. Um, unsurprisingly, I would like a few more options than those it currently offers. At the minute, for example, it's got Pages, Recents and Favourites. And I demonstrated this on After Hours. It means I've got to compromise the browser-based configuration to make the iOS widget work. Because I'd have to put everything that I want available from a single widget, either in the favourites, which push pushes them to the top of the sidebar in a browser, um, have each one as a, a page, which takes up the room of four icons, or just limit myself to what I've been in recently, which won't particularly work. Several widgets didn't work at all. 
or weren't even available on the first install. I actually needed to reboot the phone. Something I do so rarely, I can never remember the button combination to do it. <laughs> For reference, if you're as bad as me. Sleep-wake button and volume down button held for a few seconds. Mostly the widgets have sorted themselves out after a reboot, but what a farce. We know many muggles who have no idea you can actually turn an iPhone off. It was a complete revelation to them, wasn't it? You know when they've got a problem and you say, have you turned it off and on again? And they say, oh yes, yes, I click the button on the side. And you're like, no, 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 rebooted it. And they're like, it reboots. <laughs> that reminds me of two things, actually. One, my mother had to reboot her uh, iPhone or turn it off uh, recently. And I couldn't remember the key combination for turning off a, an iPhone 6. So I had to Google that. And she'd never done that in her life. And the other story I remember was a guy I used to work with. Him and his wife went on an aeroplane and they were told to turn their phones off. And she didn't know how to do it. <laughs> This is what I mean. It's not obvious, is it? Anyway, no. the next biggie in terms of new features, Scribble. I tried Scribble. I actually charged my pencil, especially. It had been lying dead in a drawer. Oh, big event. It had been lying dead in a drawer for about two months. So I tried it in Chrome first because that's my preferred browser. And I scribbled MacBytes.co.uk into the URL bar. And the handwriting was converted to text. But I had to tap on uh, the browser page to bring up the on-screen keyboard to press enter. I then tried it with Safari, and at least with Safari, it brings up top hit, suggested hit, and a search button at the bottom of the screen. Notion, the written text was recognised. I typed into the page header area, and it converted it to a header. I drew a little dot followed by some text and it recognised that as a bullet point, and I scribbled out the text to delete it. But initially, I couldn't work out how to get a new line. I went through the tutorial. There's a tutorial. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> in Notion, if you double tap twice in the document, and that was a complete guess, as you say, the discoverability is worse than useless. Um, it, it actually worked, but I had to double tap twice. The first time it put the cursor at the end of the last line I typed. And then the second time it put the cursor on a new line. I then tried it in drafts and that didn't work at all. Double tapping just highlighted the last word that I typed. So variable experience for me. How are you supposed to know to tap four times? Do you just keep hammering at it like a woodpecker until something happens or you break the pencil. <laughs> Honestly, I did do the tutorial and I played around a bit. Reminds me of that song, Knock Three Times on the Ceiling <laughs> If You Want Me. <laughs> oh, has it come to this with our tech? Oh, dear me. No, the tutorial was... I guess it gave you the basics, but I must admit at the end of it, I, I just wasn't impressed. I decided it was a bit of a gimmick. I moved on mumbling there was nothing new to see because it actually prevents me using the pencil in the way that I've used it since I first got it, which was 2015, just for navigation. So I will pick up an iPad with a pencil and I'll use the pencil to tap round it. You know, like in the way Steve Jobs absolutely categorically didn't want you to work that way. Yeah. But it works for me. And when I'm doing demonstrations, and I've said this before, 
with an iPad and, and your, your fingers, your hands are covering up the screen. And as a trainer, I'm, I'm trying to explain what I'm doing and I can't actually see what I'm doing because I'm doing it and my hands are in the way. So I'm looking for like a, a, a title on a button or, or the text, you know, and my hands are covering it up. So I've always used some kind of stylus. But I'd have thought with the pencil, you know, having paid about £130 for the pencil, they wouldn't have forced me back to my £2.99 rubber tipped thing so I can actually get some work done. But apparently that's a thing. Don't get me going. Don't get me going. Um, so it actually prevented me using it in the way I've used it. So I, I, Apple are playing with my mind, moving my cheese, which is not a good thing. I did start seeing dots before my eyes, though. Green ones and orange ones. I saw those too. Ah, I went and, and found out what they were. Uh, green dots mean your camera is in use. Orange dot means the microphone is active. Which is fine, but it doesn't tell you which app's using them. For that, you need to visit the control centre. Uh, there are recent apps using those features are listed at the top of the screen. I do wonder what muggles make of all these dots and stuff. They're either very trusting or just choosing to ignore them. So, did the iPhone eventually get done, Mike? I did eventually update the iPhone 7. What do you mean, eventually? Um... I've got a confession to make. Really? I forgot that I had it. You forgot you had it? Smelling salt stat. Well, yeah, if I don't use it, then I forget that it's available for a test update. And I, I still haven't updated my iPhone 11. I'm in no rush to do so, to be honest. I must admit, I did. Uh, you know why? It was the one thing that tempted me. What what would I have needed? Well, what did I want to get my little sticky mitts on? Floating widgets. <laughs> so, the Notion widgets. Well, I tried it on the iPhone 7 and I'm like, this is actually quite nice. So I decided I would back up all of my photos manually, don't ask, um, and, and do, do the deed. And it worked. So it was alarmingly simple. Do you remember the days when things just worked? I know it's a long time ago, but that. Yes. So. Uh, hot on the heels of our success with iOS 14, having done the iOS 14 thing, it was time to go into uncharted waters with our Macs. Mac OS Catalina. Yes, I know it's been out for over a year, but we were happily enjoying the ignorance is bliss approach. When Apple changed the rules of engagement, new versions of iWork appeared. They were no longer compatible with Mojave. So much for supporting at least the current OS and one OS version back, because at this stage, Biggles was still six weeks away. This was late September. So it was do the Catalina thing or do without the latest versions of Keynote pages and numbers, mm. which wasn't really an option because I'd already done the updates on iOS, not knowing it that it wouldn't be an option on the Mac. I'd actually not long updated to Mojave, so why did I go through the pain barrier of two OS updates in quick succession? Well, like you say, many apps are starting to support either only the current OS or the current OS and one back. So once Biggles was released, I had no choice but to either go to Biggles or, at a minimum, Catalina. 
Where I work, we have around a thousand Mac users. I actually thought it was more, but I was in a meeting last week and there's around a thousand Mac users and everyone was required to be on Catalina by the end of August this year. So I had actually done one update. I'd done my work MacBook, but I only use that once or twice a month when delivering training. So I not really had a, much of a look at it. Once upon a time, upgrading the OS was a big deal, wasn't it? The days of uh, Tiger and not Tiger. Um, leopard. Tiger to Leopard. Tiger, yes. Um, yeah, once upon a time, upgrading the OS was a big deal. Or did we just make a drama out of it? You know, would this app work? Would that app work? No, we did not make a drama um, of it. It really was that bad. The Leopard <laughs> move was bad. I had a spreadsheet with every app that I had installed listed. And then I went and found out if it was compatible and it was all colour coded and everything. It was fabulous. But it was. You know, you knew stuff would break. That's what I mean. Did we make a drama out of it? Did we go over the top? Um, you know, by waiting almost a year, all the apps that we use should be, should in air quotes, be Catalina compliant. Or dead. One or the other. I took the Rachel approach. Oh, bless now, Rachel. We've discussed We've discussed the Rachel approach many times. Uh, the Rachel approach is um, on her iPhone. It said upgrade, so I did. She went in the shower and she just upgraded. No drama. So, um, you know, back up, install, job done. That's Can what I did with Can you imagine us getting that message and thinking, oh, yeah, that's fine. I'll just click yes and then go and have a shower and come back. <laughs> I'd be on Valium. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. Well, that's kind of what I did with Catalina. I did a backup, I hit install, and job was done. Okay, there was the crossing of the fingers and the sacrificing <laughs> a chicken, because I wouldn't 101% trust it. But in the end, it went okay. There was only two casualties. There was iTalk and uh, ITV. Now, I've not actually watched TV for a long, long time. Um, I, I use the iPlayer, I use uh, Now TV, I use Sky Sports on my iPhone and my iPads. So I haven't used the iTV for a long, long time. And iTalkSync, I've not used either for a long, long time. So the fact that they don't work isn't a huge problem to me. One thing that we did spot was that the trash has been renamed Bin. And it seems to be a local thing for the UK where people use the word Bin and not the word trash. Don't get me going on that. I know it's only a word, but the thing is there are other applications that talk about moving things to the trash, only now it's called the bin. So now, instead of having one word, which we all understand, we know what trash is for crying out loud. It's not jewellery, is it, from Harrods? It's trash, it's rubbish, it's the bin. I don't think we need... If you're going to change it, then it needs to be some system-wide variable that changes it in every application, because otherwise you, you now end up with things saying different things. Which can affect the shortcuts. But, but you know what I'm like, moving my cheese. Can I carry on? If you like. Oh, I just thought that was a, a bin rant. It was a bin, bin rant. Gate. Or a trash rant. Bin gate. <laughs> In uh, Catalina, of course, there is uh, the new podcast app. Now, I haven't used iTunes for music for years. All my music, actually, is on my 21-inch iMac, which I've not actually used for three and a half years. It's downstairs. It's not even been plugged in. So 
that shows you how long it is since I've used my iTunes. I use Spotify for music. I do subscribe to a couple of podcasts, and although I listen on the iPhone, I do like to download the underlying MP3 files, and that was really easy with iTunes. You just right-click, show in Finder, and there the file is in front of you. Command and R. And that isn't available. You know what I'm like with my shortcuts, Command and R. Okay. Oh, talking of shortcuts, I was in Windows today, and I pressed Command and D, because, of course, Command and D, well, Control and D. Command and D is to duplicate a file. You know what Control and D does in Windows? Have you still got 10 fingers left? <laughs> Did he do something naughty? It deletes the file. <laughs> Genius. <clears throat> Won't be doing that again then, will you? No. Anyway, um, right-click showing Finder is what I do. You stick to your own shortcuts. But uh, this this feature isn't available in the podcast app. So the solution is to find the podcast episode in the feed list within the podcast app and drag it onto the desktop. And that puts the MP3 on the desktop, which is actually quicker. It's just not documented anywhere. And there is a caveat to that. It only works with episodes that have been downloaded to your local machine. Apart from those differences, to be perfectly honest, it all looks the same as Mojave. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was alarmingly uneventful in the end. Uh, I'd only I'd already updated my critical apps to 64-bit versions. My only sadness was the loss of fast icons, which I'm sure I've mentioned before. It was an icon extractor utility, completely free. Uh, it had been up. I first used it in 2006, and it was kept being updated up to 2018. But there was no update that would make it 64-bit. So unfortunately, it was a goner. Something told me the Biggles update would be more of an issue. So, fast forward a few weeks to the 12th of November 2020 and Biggles launch day. Having Catalina'd in late September, how far wrong could it go? I'm glad you asked. Settle down for the sad sorry saga of the Biggles install that wasn't. I'd done all the updates to my 2018 MacBook Air. It was already on Catalina, so it should have been simple. Famous last words. I checked for updates at the appointed hour. Nothing. No news there, then. Many of you will recall Apple got the iOS 14 update in by the skin of their teeth at about five to midnight. I tried again and again. Boom, it was there. Or so they claimed. So ensued a cat and mouse game of now you see it, now you don't. It started downloading. Eventually, it quoted a time. In Apple Minutes, so not related in any way to Earth Minutes, it started off quoting 20 minutes. About right, given the speed of our internet and the 12.5 gig download. It reassessed. An hour. It reassessed again. An hour and a half. It reassessed yet again. Two hours. Over the next 10 minutes, it reassessed that many times. It finally came up with... 18 days. Yes, days. I was contemplating a carrier pigeon by this stage. It would have been faster. Never assume it's you. I do a quick Google. It wasn't me. It was clearly them. Their servers had melted. Biggles wasn't downloading any time soon. So with the MacBook Air out of action, I returned to my iMac and I tried to run an app. Disaster. Nothing I tried would run. Literally, no application would run. 
Eventually, it sprang back to life as if nothing had happened. What was going on? I'd experienced exactly the same thing before, so it was time to investigate. The cause? Apple's verification certification gatekeeper servers not responding. Why did that matter? Because I wasn't trying to run an app from the Mac App Store. Notarized apps was the issue. They need to ping Apple on startup. If you're not connected to the internet full stop and the Mac knows you're not, they just run without the seemingly interminable wait. But if you're connected to the internet, all notarized apps attempt to ping Apple. Two potential nightmare scenarios with that. Number one, Apple's servers are down, which is what was happening here. Your apps continue to try to connect to Apple, taking an eternity to decide not to bother. Number two, your internet connection is down. Exactly the same result is going to happen if your internet connection drops. Because you will still be connected to your router and macOS will think that it should be able to connect to the Apple servers. Your apps will hang on startup and they will stay catatonic until they give up trying to connect to Apple. I can understand Mac App Store apps wanting to get familiar with the Apple servers, but these apps were purchased outside the Mac App Store. It's happening when they can't reach Apple due to a lack of internet on your part or the fact that Apple servers are down. That's the price of notarization of apps. In my opinion, nothing Apple choose to do should give me grief if it's bought outside their store. Those servers should never be unreachable due to a failure on Apple's end. They should ensure that a Mac isn't crippled for 20 minutes if your internet connection vanishes from under you as well. Bad form, Apple. Very, very bad form. It means if I lose my internet connection, as I sometimes do for scheduled maintenance, I can't work effectively locally. Really? The only way would be to disconnect via the network system preferences panel, which is a pain in the proverbial. All of which takes us back to the Charlie Monroe fiasco when his developer certificates were evoked in error and I couldn't run apps that I had purchased directly from him. It's not been the best year for Apple getting things right in the infrastructure department, has it? Anyway, back to the original issue, which was installing Biggles, if you recall. Yes, I'd almost managed to forget the horror of that too. After about six hours of no time soon from Apple, it sprang into life, downloaded in record time and installed in its own good time. Initial thoughts? Mm, it looks like an iPad. One day, iOS and macOS will merge and be the same thing. I know Apple have said no, but trust me, they will. They protest too much. The interface has got touchscreen written all over it. It's huge. It's the Apple version of Windows XP, or as we knew it, Windows Teletubby edition, if you recall. I remember it well. Well, this looks like its younger brother. If Apple have their way, one day in the not too distant future, I will have a 27-inch iPad on my desk instead of my iMac. <clears throat> anyway, getting more specific with Biggles. The rounded corners are playing with my mind. <laughs> Not only does it look like an iPad, it makes the screen look smaller somehow. Obviously, an optical illusion. Doubtless, I'll get used to it. But so much wasted space, swathes of it. It just looks like a touch interface. 
I prefer the interface of an app to be as small as practically possible because it maximises the space I've got available for working with the actual content. You may well recall me switching to Firefox when Chrome started making the top bar deeper and fiddling with the corner rounding. In case you're thinking that I'm insane. I never said a word. You were thinking it though. Don't look at me. When you've all finished, in case you're thinking I'm insane, I'm not. Let's take Keynote, for example. On pre-Biggle systems, the toolbar across the top shows a customizable row of buttons. The number of buttons that you can add and effectively use is only limited by the size and the resolution of your screen. The same version of Keynote on Biggles, exactly the same, except when the slide thumbnails are displayed, the toolbar shifts to the right. Why? It's never done it before. It's disorientating. It also leaves a huge rectangle of blank space above the slide list. The slide list actually slides, no pun intended, in from the left. So you can see the rest of your keynote interface shrink to the right as it does so. The same principle is not applied to the object list, thankfully, or I'd be left with three inches of screen space for the toolbar. But why the inconsistency with that? It's ridiculous. It doesn't look the same on different Macs, and two elements of the interface that show you a column of information are not behaving in the same way. The menu bar. Did they not learn from the 2011 Leopard menu bar gate saga? That was the first translucent menu bar. Folks spent an age turning it off or faking the old look with edited wallpapers. At least with Biggles, there's an app for that now. It's called, and I quote, Boring Old Menu Bar from the makers of a Better Finder series. Contrast is a key feature of accessibility. And by default here on Biggles, everything is incredibly indistinct. Not good, not good at all. I shall, be, I shall be trying boring old menu bar from the better finder folk. Then there's the adaptive interface concept, where an interface changes depending on what you're actually doing, which brings back all the horrors of Microsoft's ribbon interface. I know trainers who retired from the business rather than train apps with that interface. So let's take a look at Finder. Instead of the search box being in your face, can't miss it, predictable location, a lovely clear text box has become a tiny magnifying glass icon, lost in a sea of other similar pasty icons. I asked Mike, who is at present Biggles Free, to find the search option on a finder window. With the finder window open in front of his face, it took him a full seven seconds to spot it. Not the most ringing endorsement of your new design, Apple. And then there's the clock. Let's talk about the clock. Tin hat time, folks. Indeed. This was a major case of who moved my cheese. I loved the interface of the Mac on Tiger. I coped with the changes in Leopard. I embraced Bartender in April 2012. I freaked out at the addition of Notification Centre in July of 2012 with Mountie Lion. From memory, that was after a meltdown of trying to lose the spotlight icon at some point as well. I calmed down when Bartender got an update to hide the offending Notification Centre icon, but I've grown to accept that since. All was well. But now I have to suffer two icons I neither need nor want. 
The clock replete with the date is used to access the notification centre. Then there's the control centre icon, a refugee from the land of iOS. The clock icon is no longer managed from the date and time section of the system preferences, which was where I went to um, nuke it because I have an alternative clock and date that I use from somewhere else. You now need to do it via the menu bar only section in the dock and menu bar section of the system preferences. Only found that by accident. The least invasive option that you've got is to show the clock in analog mode because you cannot turn it off. So the fact I want to use a different clock from a different application, I'm straight out of luck. In things you never thought you'd hear yourself say, I actually miss the simplicity of the original notification centre icon. Um, the sections of the notification centre also look weird without a background. They're floating in mid-air, Fox, as the old Fox's Glossier Mint advert used to say. And don't even get me started on the fact that the stock sap is in there. When will Apple realise the majority of us don't care? Just saying. There's nothing useful there like a live updating COVID tracker mind, just the stocks app. Well, that and the screen time monitor, which is like a car manufacturer monitoring how far you travel and telling you you should probably go home and have a nap. Then there's the icons, which are all the same in shape at least. While they might work on an iPad, some at least look decidedly designed with a stubby crayon right now. Oh, David Hockney on an iPad. Whilst stuck in a lift, if you recall his Amsterdam adventure last year, the kindest description for some of these icons is rushed. I particularly dislike the new keynote pages and numbers icons, but especially the keynote one. I was surprised they didn't just port the iPad icons, which are at least distinctive enough to use to see what the apps actually are. Just port them over from iOS. But no, they've they've redesigned them. But redesigned is not a word I would actually use. Not not the design part anyway. Then there's the menu bar icons, which are white. And without the 2020 eyesight of a child, all seem to blend into one. We bemoaned the removal of more distinctive icons with colour from the finder years ago. And this time they've gone a step further. While some icons have retained a visual difference like the home folder, uh, airdrop, recents, applications, and even some third-party folders like Dropbox. The desktop, documents, and download folders no longer have dedicated icons. I can't tell you the number of times I've squinted to select the downloads folder in the sidebar. It's so much clearer using the old one, which had a down-pointing arrow on it. They've also, in, in, in a strange manoeuvre, reduced the space available for dialogue messages. So apps yet to twig this are showing dialog boxes and you can't read the contents without scrolling. With the default settings on macOS, you don't see a scroll bar until you try to scroll, which is a whole bag of hurt in other applications, but I digress. Here it means you could miss half an error message because you have no way of knowing that it's actually there. In better news, thankfully, there is already an updated version of Bartender to control the worst of Apple's tinkering. It's a paid-for upgrade and it doesn't run on anything older than Biggles. But having seen the state of the menu bar without it running, I can assure you it was an instant purchase. Seriously, take my money, save my sanity. Apple seem intent on foisting things upon us that we neither need nor want. 
while at the same time taking away some of the most useful, if nuanced, elements of macOS. So, conclusion, at least it's done. You'll notice it's not done on my main Mac. But now it's out, resistance is going to prove futile at some point. Buy a new Mac and you'll be stuck with it. So let us know what you think. Seriously, we would love to hear your thoughts. Is it Biggles Niggles or Biggles Giggles for you? Let us know. Now, I know it's not uncommon these days for companies to get hacked, but I always thought that Manchester United would be safe. But then, looking at their defensive record on the pitch, maybe not. About a week ago, I woke up to the news that Manchester United's computer systems had been hacked. And... As I said, it happens to hundreds, if not thousands, of companies. Over the past 12 months, 70% of sports organisations had experienced a hack. So, why am I interested in this particular story? Well, I'm a lifelong supporter. I was a shareholder until the Glazers forced a buyout. I've been a season ticket holder for so long that I have a platinum season ticket. And it holds a place dear to my heart. It's where Elaine and I met. Oh! If it wasn't for United, there'd be no MacBytes. According to the media reports, United's computer network was infected by ransomware. And ransomware is where a hacker takes control of a victim's computer or network, steals information and encrypts files. They demand a fee to be paid in order for the system to work again and for the information in the files not to be made publicly available. Hence the term ransomware, being held to ransom. It's unclear who's behind the attack, what their motives are or how much they're demanding. It's also unclear exactly what damage has been done. We do know that the club's email system has been out of action since the attack. Some media reports are sensationalising the effects of the attack with headlines like It's feared confidential material regarding player targets and ongoing scouting missions may have been compromised. Details on long and short term player targets are held in files within the system. And it's thought that confidential material along with sensitive personal details of their current squad may have been targeted. One area that hasn't been affected is matchday operations, many elements of which are computer controlled. Things like entry into the stadium and CCTV. And in normal times, payment gateways at the megastore, which is currently shut due to COVID. Also unaffected, according to reports, is supporters' personal data. And my first thought was, well, it's okay, the credit card that they have on file expired in June. I didn't bother updating the records as all the games were behind closed doors, so there was no payments needed. But there's more than just credit cards. There's season ticket numbers. There's seat numbers. There's previous payments. There's a complete record of ticket purchases for the past 10 years. How many away games you've applied for or attended, which is used to prioritise tickets for cup finals and other big games. According to the Daily Mail, yes, that's the same Daily Mail that held me to ransom by not allowing me to read the article because I use an ad blocker, an unnamed English club were hit with a £5 million demand after its systems were crippled. The club refused to pay up and were unable to operate their CCTV and stadium entry turnstiles, and that almost resulted in a match being postponed. 
Going back to email, this has affected both the internal and external email at the club, which explains why we've not received a matchday programme email for the past three home games. A matchday programme is like a, a magazine. Back in the old days, it used to be two sides of A5, and then slowly but surely it got increased to maybe 10 pages, 20 pages, 30 pages, full of interesting and not so interesting football-related and United-related articles. And now it's a full-colour, glossy magazine, which you can buy at the stadium for about £5, and a lot of them become collector's items. What United have started doing is creating digital versions. I think a lot of clubs have been doing it. And since March, season ticket holders have been able to read an online digital copy of the matchday programme at no cost. The club have been sending out an email on the morning of the match, and that has a link in it to the programme. You enter your season ticket number, and that enables you to read it. But since the attacks, there's been no email sent out. I thought that was odd, and I thought it was just me. But I checked Twitter, and lots of other people were asking, and adding United. There was no reply from United. Clearly, lost access to Twitter as well. Yeah, it sounds like it. There were replies from fans saying it must be down to the attack. We can still read the programme. If you have one of the past emails, the link is in there. It links to a page on United's website and all the programmes are actually linked to from there. This could actually be a blessing in disguise for the club. A great opportunity to reduce the use of email internally. Teams is where it's at, guys. Teams. All this is a far cry from the Manchester United that we grew up with in the 80s. Getting my dad to write in for tickets, enclosing a cheque and a self-addressed envelope, queuing up for tickets early in the morning and getting those little paper-based vouchers for my paper-based token sheet to give me priority for big game tickets based on attendance at other matches. Receiving letters typed on a typewriter from the club secretary. Yes, football has definitely moved with the times, sometimes for the better, sometimes not. Remember I said there hadn't been a show for um, <clears throat> a while, but we're not drawing attention to it. There's actually been three Apple events since the last MacBytes. That's gratuitous, isn't it? Fancy doing that and showing us up, Timmy. The September event is normally the iPhone event, but due to COVID, that one was put back. We did have a ball in the chat room, though, during a special episode of Marooned at MacBytes headquarters, followed by a MacBytes Live, followed by the live event, followed by the post-mortem. So we had a ball no matter what was announced. We knew there would be no phone before it started. And like WWDC, this one was pre-recorded. You know, I know loads of people love that approach, but I didn't think that one nor the two after that were as well done as the WWDC video. Maybe just personal preference. I don't know. And it wasn't it weird that he was stood in an empty auditorium thinking that was a good backdrop because it kind of drew attention to the fact that Timmy Got No Mates was on his own. <laughs> but anyway, new toys. Well, Apple Watch Series 6, Apple Watch SE, new iPad Air and Apple One. <clears throat> At least then about that, the better. But what do you reckon? 
Well, I'll be honest, I'm not in the market for any of those. I'm not in the market for a, a watch, certainly not in the, the market for a new iPad. Um, Apple One, it's a bundle of services, music, TV, arcade, and 50 gig of iCloud space, all for just £15 a month. Do you now, know I've got an... I would actually pay them not to have arcade? Me too. <laughs> they missed a marketing trick there. They could say, we're going to give it you for free. And I'm like, I'll pay you to take it away. I've got an iCloud subscription for it's £2.49 a month for 200 gig. And I don't and I won't use those other services. I guess for someone who does use those other services, it is a money saver compared to individual subscriptions, though. Well, before the event, I was interested in what they were going to do with the watch. If I had a need for the new features, I'd have bought one, but I don't. So I passed on that one. Adding the SE to the lineup just confuses the watch lineup as far as I'm concerned. In the same way, three different iPad families does. They need some Steve Jobs simplification of the entire product lineup, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the thing that caused the most uproar in the chat room was Apple One. They presented it as if it could be compulsory. Do you remember this? All I heck broke it. loose. People were like, is there any information I need to go and check? But luckily, it's optional. Well, it is right now. Like you, I don't have a need for all of those services, and I am incredibly grateful it's not compulsory. So for th that event was a case of move along nothing to see for us, really, wasn't it? Yeah. But fear not. Like buses, there was another one the following month. Next up, it was the much-delayed iPhone event, another pre-record. And four new models were announced. The iPhone 12 mini, the iPhone 12, the iPhone 12 Pro and the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Can you see I'm getting confused with them all? Do you know, I really do. Back when they announced the very first iPhone, it was like, there's this phone. This is the size it is. And there's different capacities. But other than that, you're done. That was simple. All of this stuff I'd love to see the breakdown in sales because I'm not sure who would be buying an iPhone 12 mini. What do you reckon? No. I just don't see the appeal of that one myself. Probably my eyesight's not good enough anymore to deal with it. All of them come with 5G. We had another ball in the chat room because we decided a drinking game was needed. Every time they said 5G, drink. We were paralytic by the end of it, weren't we? That that was we were I would love to know. Run that through some kind of, you know, um otter situation and then do a count on the number of times 5G was mentioned. There was, however, no headphones or charger. But it will include the lightning cable because I tore them a new one over that, didn't I? If they want to remove the power adapter, fine. If they want to claim it's to save the planet, fine. But do mention that removing it means it costs less to produce, it costs less to ship. But they're charging the same. Hmm. Mention that, Timmy. Well, I missed that event due to delivering a webinar, but Apple really do need to get their act together and give us more notice. As the event was pre-recorded, they must have known for weeks when it was going to be. Well, that's your loss, Apple, that I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, Timmy. We had actually planned to get a new phone this year because of 
drink 5G. 5G. But then lockdown hit and we've not been out and we're not planning to go out, so there's no point. But I do agree, it is a bit stingy to stop including the uh, earpods and the charger, although it is a good way for them to sell more AirPods, isn't it? I guess it is, but, you know, I think they forget that their argument with the headphones, which I, I would like to address the headphones separately from the power, because the power thing, people have dedicated plug faces, don't they, with USB on now. So the plug part, less significant than the headphones. They're saying people have got headphones, which doubtless they have from previous purchases. But are they forgetting that there's a lot of people who do not upgrade every year? And I don't know about you, but the next time I have a pair of headphones that last, say, two or three years will be the first. I mean, what happened <laughs> last week with mine, Mike? True. This was a classic. I have a dedicated pair of headphones for wearing in bed. Before you start screaming, they are actually intended to be wear them in bed headphones. So they're like a pair of AirPods. They're obviously completely... There is wire wiring the two of them together, but they attach via Bluetooth. And there's a little control pod on the side. So there I am. And they have, they're fantastic. Can highly, highly recommend them. Tracy recommended them, didn't she, in the, in the chat? And I decided I was going to go buy a pair and see how they were. Didn't hold out much hope they were going to be great. But actually, they really are. So I get up one morning and, and, you know, I've still got them on. Well, when I say they, I had one on in the left ear. I reached down for the control thing. That was no problem. So I pressed stop. And I thought, where's the other earpiece gone? Yeah, the cable had snapped in the night and the right hand one is no longer there. So I've I've had those about 10 months. I can't agree with Apple that headphones aren't needed because you bought one in 1946. That That's not true. I guess they're giving you the option to go for the AirPods, like you're saying, which is fine. But they're not reducing the price to offset the fact that there actually isn't a pair of headphones in it. So... Uh, not on, not on, but that could just be me. Anyway, as I said, they come in threes. Uh, we had a third Apple event. You had a, an issue though, didn't you? Yeah, I had uh, another clash with a webinar. Apple, you really must consult my diary before scheduling these events. And it was another pre-recorded event as well. It was the launch of the Mac Mini, the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro with the new M1 chip. Another bunch of items that I'm not buying. I'm not in the market for a Mac laptop. I did say that I wasn't going out, didn't I? Yeah, I thought I did. So I don't need the portability. But you considered the Mac Mini, didn't you? Oh, I'd actually made my mind up. Before the event, it was 50-50 whether there would be a new Mac Mini at all. Half of me said like... No, they'll keep it for January or, or March. And the other half said, no, there's no reason that there couldn't be a Mac Mini because the ones that they've been sending out to developers are Mac Minis. So they're ready. So I was really 50-50. But my decision was, if there were a new Mac Mini, I would get one. The price was fine. It was looking good. Then the 16 gig maximum RAM flashed on the screen. Mm, deal breaker. I know everyone and their pet poodle is raving over how fast these machines are. But the beauty of the Mac Mini was being able to tinker inside it with the RAM and increase the storage. So I went into the event with one decision to buy and came out with the opposite decision. 
great selling there, Apple. I do feel Timmy needs to work on his technique somewhat. There are even rumours of a December event. But if they're planning on that, then they better get on with it before we're ankle deep in Turkey and all the trimmings. So after all the plotting, all the planning, all the anticipation, we weren't tempted to buy anything new from Apple. But fear not, the story does not end there. It's never without incident when we purchase kit, is it? First time, it was completely unexpected. Second time, it was Black Friday in 2006. Third time, I nipped out at lunchtime and spent about £3,000 without mentioning it to you. Yeah, first I knew was when you tweeted it. That's right. With a photo of all I'd just bought at the Apple store in the Arndale Centre in Manchester. After that, they started arriving via DPD. The one on my desk right now was bought on election night 2017. We took one look at the predicted result, hung Parliament, and bought two iMacs before the price went up in response to the result. So, on to the fun and games we had last Thursday night. During lockdown, I've been working very late, which suits me nicely. You are much more of a morning person than I am. Apple's Black Friday deals were announced on the Monday. So they sent a mail out. I was straight on it. £120 voucher on qualifying purchases. And the qualifying purchases were not detailed, but they would be available from Friday morning just after midnight. I figured they'd have some trick up their sleeve. I wasn't wrong. The discount was on the 21-inch model only, in a shifting old kit exercise. Same with other equipment, all old versions only. Compare that with 2006. 10% off across the board. Every device, everything, everything in the store. Much more generous and not excluding your best customers who are buying the newer or more expensive products. Take note, Timmy. Oh, there's another question for Timmy during his interrogation. Um, guest appearance on Question Time with Timmy. Anyway, back to midnight on Thursday night, Friday morning. You were snoozing peacefully until the alarm rudely woke you and you came staggering into the office to see how generous Apple had been. Not very was the answer to that. Oh, absolutely. Very true. So, plan B it was. The business discount would have to do. In fact, the business discount worked out to be much better than the £120 voucher. So, the time had come. You know, right now I don't actually need a new Mac. Um, say that again slowly for those who are still coming round from the shock of those words. Right now I don't actually need a new Mac. Is that need need or Jane need? Well, although the one I have is three and a half years old, it runs like a purring kitten. That's the opposite of a lame dog. It's got an i7 processor. It's got one terabyte hard drive. It's got 64 gig of RAM. It can comfortably run Windows in a VM 24-7 without any performance issues. So why am I spending three grand or so on a brand new top of the range iMac? The answer is timing. With Apple moving to ARM-based chips, the new iMac that launched three months ago is likely to be the last Intel-based one produced by Apple. And why is that important? Uh, or important to me? Well, 
delivering training on Windows version of Office and building solutions with the Windows version of Office is how I earn my living. And at this stage, it's not known whether the ARM chips will run Windows, and even if they do, what will the performance be like? I know the new ARM chips um, in the MacBooks and the Mini have got 16 gig in them, and by all accounts, this seems to be enough. Although, what is the testing criteria for this? Is it a bit of pages and a bit of Keynote? Uh, are they actually running anything more powerful than that? Maybe ARM chips run uh, or, or manage RAM in a better way without sacrificing performance. But even if that's the case, and even if ARM-based Macs will run Windows, how will Windows run in 8 gig of RAM? And I say 8 gig because traditionally what I've done is split the RAM 50-50 between the Mac and the virtual machine. So to get the most lifespan out of the new Mac, for me, it makes sense to actually get it now. Anyway, ordering at midnight when I'm half asleep has its disadvantages. The main one being that my hand-eye coordination isn't at its best. But luckily, when you configure in your purchase, you get a chance to review and change your selections. Because otherwise, I'd be awaiting an iMac with a Hungarian keyboard. I really can't leave you two to do anything, can I? It's easily done. The Hungarian option is next to the British keyboard with the numeric keypad in the list of keyboards. So with the purchase done, including the right keyboard, it was back to bed for a few hours more sleep. Do you know, the selection of the keyboard is completely ridiculous. Everything else that you configure has a huge clear option. The keyboard option, it's the tiniest thing on the page in a pale blue font. But yes, right, we're now awaiting the arrival of two shiny new toys at MacBytes headquarters. And regarding my need for a new Mac, it, it, it mine's need, need, not Jane need. It's, it's need, need. I think I've just about killed the old one. I've got regular crashes. Um, deleting or moving content off the main Macintosh HD doesn't free up space. Well, it does, but the Mac doesn't think it does. So same thing. So I'm getting constant messages saying you're out of disk space, you're out of disk space. I am not out of disk space. If I reboot, I've got 600 gig free. It's just that as that depletes over sort of two or three days, it doesn't realise that I've cleared it. So then I need to reboot yet again. I've also got screen artefacts, which is usually an indication it, it's stressed. And I've got sudden freezes when it stops, everything stops. And just as you've given up, it tantalises you into thinking it might just spring back into life. Uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So it's time to get a new one and hopefully make my life a little bit easier. So iMac secured, next job, securing the RAM. We've usually used Crucial, except for last time. 2017, we ended up with Mr Memory because the RAM was new, brand new type of RAM and it was rarer than hen's teeth. So, I locate the right RAM, I add it all to the basket. Only need to log into my account now. Hmm, password expired. Why? Never mind, reset the password. Not exactly without issue. Needed to be a certain number of characters, couldn't have certain other characters, etc, etc. Got in. In the end. Gets to the checkout. All went well, including the 5% discount. 
Black Friday and all that, which was well worth it on an order over £900. Presses, check out. Credit card verification thinks about it. For a considerable time. Too long. I don't like it. Up comes a nested additional verification dialogue. Yeah, nice. It wants exactly the same information I've already entered in before. And more besides. Once everything I've put in, then the full name on the face of the card gets past that. Then the birthday of the primary card holder. Duly entered. Another interminable wait. Declined. What? Bad words were said. There was a text from the credit card company to Mike. A was this you message. Well, let's think about that. We paid the balance off yesterday to ensure that we could actually purchase the RAM. We have been known to buy tech toys, you know, every now and then. We're in a national lockdown. We haven't been out since March. And I entered all the information you wanted twice. Just who did you think it was? Muppets. Mike confirmed it was indeed us by a reply to the text. You then get another text back saying if we wanted to make the purchase, we needed to wait 10 minutes and try again. This would be faster by carrier pigeon. Shall I add a carrier pigeon to your order? Well, why not? I shielded you from the full horror of it. I logged into my credit card account and this generated another text to me, thanks to two-factor. I also logged into my bank account in case we needed to use a different credit card. And this generated yet another text, again, thanks to two-factor. For crying out loud. This is why the bank don't have my phone number. Anyway. An interminable 10 minutes later, we try again. Success. But seriously, it's 2020. Things should be easier than that. You said it. It's 2020. Any excuse? Now, we weren't even done there. Um, let's go back to the actual delivery options. Why are there so many options? Everything from free via Royal Mail with their special trademarked you'll never see it option. Up to the £30, George Clooney delivers it on a velvet cushion option. Now, much as I could appreciate a visit by George Clooney, we weren't in a rush, given that there's still a two-week wait for the arrival of the IMAX. We pondered. The default was a £3 dispatch today option. As we said, no rush. We went for the free sometime never option. I actually said, if they want to risk £900 worth of RAM with the Royal Mail, that's up to them. Five minutes after we placed the order, an email arrived. This was in addition to the already five confirmations, etc. It proudly proclaimed, we've upgraded your delivery option free of charge to DPD next day delivery. Ooh, result. All of which still does not absolve the credit card company from their gross incompetence. True AI would know it was me trying to buy something that was completely normal for me to buy. As I always say, if anybody tries to buy shoes or any of those obscenely expensive handbags, block the card. It's not me. It is most definitely not me. 
Now, we're going live again on Friday night with a MacBytes After Hours. This week, we've got demos on Affinity Designer, Affinity Publisher, Mike's doing Power BI, and there will be much, much more. Do join us and the gang on YouTube on Friday night at 9pm. The link is in the show notes. And as if weekly episodes of MacBytes After Hours isn't enough, we're still in lockdown. So, we're still going live every day during said lockdown. We've just started week 38, which means we are over 260 shows in. Marooned at MacBytes headquarters is an audio show on MacBytes FM. It's every day at 7pm UK time. We have an absolute blast chatting with you all. So do join us for some daily fun and games in the midst of these increasingly strange times. And MacBytes FM is where you get to hear MacBytes first. And don't forget, 1st of December means the MacBytes Advent Calendar is here. And to get that, you need to be subscribed to the MacBytes Mail. And to do that, just go to macbytes.co.uk slash macbytes mail and sign up. Freebies every single day. Oh, can't wait. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Just go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. MacBytes headquarters. Lockdown. Day 262. If I don't get some peace soon, I'll go out of my tiny silicon mind. What have they done now? Nothing specifically, at least not today. Yet. You're right, yet, with him almost buying a Hungarian keyboard, and her trying a Biggles install on day one, I'm not sure how much more of this I can cope with. Good news about the vaccine though. I can't see her rushing for that. The last time she saw a doctor, leeches were cutting edge. That is actually true. We have zero chance of them ever leaving the house again. Well, you could administer the vaccine yourself. Now that's a fantastic idea. I mean, how difficult can it be? Absolutely. A quick jab in the gluteus maximus and you'd be done. In the what? The gluteus maximus. I'll Google it. I can help you with that. Go on then. Its thick fleshy mass, in a quadrilateral shape, forms the prominence of the buttocks. O.M.G. I'm going nowhere near that, I can assure you. They'd need two doses apparently. I am not going there once, never mind twice.